and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast with me, Johnny McFarlane. Today I'm joined as ever by Scott McDermott as we look at a weekend where Rangers dropped back to second place in the Premiership table after a 1-1 draw with Hearts at Tynecastle and of course Celtic's 6-0 victory at Ross County. We're going to look at that game, we're going to look at news today that Alfredo Morelos is a target for Crystal Palace. I say news, but this is something that's been on the radar for quite a while, but um, we're going to delve into that. And then we'll touch on the Porto game on Thursday, and we'll have a look at how that's going to go for Stephen Gerrard's men. Scott, it was an interesting game at Tynecastle. Stephen Gerrard said the first five minutes were the worst he's seen the club play in his tenure. Let's just go through it stage by stage rather than giving an overall impression what, what was your take on that first five minutes were you watching it and going and thinking to yourself whoa Rangers are really off the pace here yes uh, very poor the first uh, the kind of opening period of the game Johnny I thought they were slow lethargic uh, a bit sloppy um, second to most balls um, Hearts started with a tempo kind of up and at them kind of style, which certainly I expected. I don't know why the Rangers players wouldn't expect that. That's probably the most the most shocking thing about the start is that the Rangers players seemed um, surprised by it. Um, I thought they struggled to deal with uh, Piazzo, struggled to deal with Machino just in behind. He was causing Davis a, a problem in that uh, in that kind of pivot position. Uh, playing just off the front and yeah just really no really loose really slack um no still slating it's like kind of classic early morning kickoff uh they look some of them looked as if they hadn't hadn't got out of their beds yeah and i can understand <clears throat> why gerard was so uh so frustrated by it uh i mean i mentioned on twitter the other day and i'll say it again it's one of the things i really admire about Stephen Gerrard is his honest assessment of games. Um, I've interviewed plenty of managers after games, and you know, they'll speak to journalists, media folk, <clears throat> as if they've never watched a game of football before, and they'll try and um, they'll try and tell you that a team played well, or uh, you no, know, they deserved to win when they didn't, um, just to try and protect their own players, their own club. Um, but the thing I really admire about Gerrard is he gets it. No, he nails it just about every time. However you think the game has gone, invariably Stephen Gerrard will, will feel that way too. He doesn't flannel, does he? No. Now, listen, Rangers were warned because Aaron Hickey puts in a great ball in three minutes and Uchi Ikpiezu, unmarked in the box, about yep. four yards out, hits the bar. Now, the commentators were saying, oh, unlucky hearts, but to be honest, Ikpiezu should have scored there. It's a free header. It is a nice angled header, but at the same time, he needs to... He needs to hit the target there. Al McGregor's all at sea. Now, that set the tone for Uchiak Piezu and the way he was performing for the rest of the game. He was yep. constantly causing problems for, for Katic and Goldson. But I find it difficult to be too critical of the, the two central defenders or Rangers because Ek is such a difficult character to deal with, Scott. How do you think they should have gone around dealing with him? Well, to me, Ek Piezu wants you to get involved in a, a physical battle. But... No, look at the stature of the guy. He's not going to run away from me. He's not got any great pace. So I, I couldn't quite understand why Katic in particular wanted to get so close to him, wanted to grapple with him, wanted to compete for every aerial ball. I don't think that's necessary against Ikpezu. I mean, if I was defending against him, no, or you're asking a... a Bit of a mismatch. A, a, yeah, hi. <laughs> If I'm asking a centre-back to go and defend right. against him, I think the best way to deal with him is, is actually to stand off him a bit. No, yeah. Give him a yard. As I say, he's not going to turn you and get away from you. He wants you to get close. And if you do get close and you get involved in a... You get embroiled in a physical battle, it's one you can't win because he has... Because uh, he's physique and his strength and his, his power. Because um, he's not actually that tall. He's about, what, 6'2", but he's he's so wide, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, listen, he's like... A, I mean, he's like a heavyweight boxer. If you see him up close, no, very difficult to deal with. Phys the, the, the phys physically, would you say who, who's he close to physically, like in terms of? Um, 
I mean, because Morelos is obviously, he's got that sort of, uh, he's got that big bum where he can sort of stick himself in. I was, but going, I, was, I was going to compare him to Morelos, but to say it's different. I've heard people saying, or, or questioning why defenders get close to Morelos, because he does love getting his backside in and turning him. And that's right. But the difference is, and the reason why I can understand players getting close to Morelos is, that Morelos can run away from you. Yes. You know, he can turn and get away from you. Ick Piezo is never going to do that. Um, he's he's no get the pace to do that. So he's more like a Chris Sutton type. Aye, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, you're right. I mean, I'm trying to think of kind of modern day strikers where you just need to, you, know, you just need to stand off them. Jan uh, Kohler was one like that. The yeah. who played for the Czech Republic, six foot seven. You just had to let him win Even the ball he, in the first I suppose, instance. I suppose kind of modern day players. I mean, the one that comes to mind immediately is like a Diego Costa. Yeah. Maybe who's maybe maybe not quite as big and powerful as Ike Piazu, but if, but Costa wants you to get involved in a battle. That's what he craves, and really you just need to you know, compose yourself and and stand off him. That's where I thought you no know, Rangers centre backs, particularly Katic, got it wrong on Sunday. However, I mean you're saying about feeling for them because of how tough that battle is, and you're right to a certain extent. But the chance you're talking about. Katic just loses him, and then there's a lack of communication. Katic loses him. If you watch the replay, Katic expects Goldson behind him uh, to pick him up. Goldson doesn't pick him up. Lack of communication. He's got loads of space to get a header in, and then as the ball uh, goes to safety, you can actually see Goldson saying to Katic, "No, what you doing? Why are you letting him?" So Rangers' backline was in a bit of disarray uh, early on, and. No, they kind of struggled to, no, they struggled to kind of get it back for there. To be honest, yeah, and of course the goal comes uh, not long later. I think after five or six minutes, um, it's a, a terrible, terrible mistake by James Tavernier. Yep. Um, that allows Mulroney to go through. He takes a shot and goal. Alan McGregor saves superbly, but he saves it almost too well. Gets too much of a connection on it, and that allows the ball to go back to Machino, who hits it first time. Delicious finish. Yep. Lobs Connor Goldson, who's rushing towards the goal line. But it's hard to look at this goal without blaming two players. I think the first one would be Stephen Davis because he goes asleep and allows yep. Machino to to drift into a position where he can affect the game if there's a rebound. Yeah. Uh, which is unlike Stephen Davis because you wouldn't call him lazy. He does get around the pitch. He does rush back, um, but he just momentary lapse of concentration. I would say. But but ahead of that, a bigger mistake <laughs> is James Tavernier there. Gerard was asked about it after the game and he just laughed and it was one of those kind of mistakes wasn't it you just yeah. have to chalk it up to a moment of madness because yeah it was terrible it was one of those it was a little bit like the the rapid v the sorry not rapid v in a young boys game yeah. where it was a it was a rush of blood to the head yeah it's a terrible mistake um I think he goes in trying to uh can I get a diving header on it back to back to McGregor um I actually think he's worried about clashing with Goldson yeah. I think that's why he doesn't get anything on the header because he kind of pulls out it a wee bit because he sees Goldson's legs there and he's worried he's going to get he's worried he's going to get hurt terrible mistake um, it's not the first time from Tavernier as you say this season uh, and before and now big question marks are being asked of him in terms of uh, should he play every week should he be captain how do you balance up what he gives you in an attacking sense, uh, no, compared to individual errors at the back, that's the great debate about James Tavernier. It has been for a while now. Um, in terms of the actual goal, you're right, um, it could have been avoided if Davis had followed Machino. Um, and I suppose that's the one danger with Stephen Davis is your kind of midfield pivot. He's there, no, he's a certain type of player, he's there to build play. Get Rangers passing. He's very good at it. He's been brilliant uh, for Rangers in the last six months in that position. Um, however, if you're an opposition team and you want to try and upset Rangers' rhythm, upset their flow, no putting a guy like Machino, <clears throat> a kind of a classic number ten, if you like, um, and getting him in and around Davis to cause him a problem, make Davis think. Defensively, not about tracking runners, making tackles. That's not what Stephen Davis is is good at. And I thought Hearts uh, through Machino did that uh, very well, particularly in the first half on, on Sunday. 
In terms of the overall game, Scott, six shots on target for both teams. Uh, six shots, sorry, um, for both teams, but only one on target for Rangers. That was obviously the goal. And uh, you you look at the whole game and you, you cannot diagnose anything other than Rangers lacked quality in that yep. final third. Now, for me, the, the, there's an issue there with regards to the way the midfield set up. I think Rangers and Liverpool are quite similarly set up in that they push the two fullbacks right on. Now, this is even more pronounced now that Borna Barisic has become a yep. real force in the Rangers' side. And that's where they're trying to get their creative play from. Well, just like Liverpool, you know, Andy uh, Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold producing a lot of the assists. And I think in Rangers' game, that's the idea. Yep. So you've got those front three for Rangers and you've got the two wide players who are, who are essentially fullbacks. Your three midfield players... They're not providing a lot of the creativity in this in no. this uh, situation. I think they're often caught behind the ball. Yeah, I think that's the way Gerard wants it because it he wants those midfield players to drop in and cover for the fullbacks. My concern is this, Scott: in a game like that where you're struggling to create and you don't have enough bodies in that final third because there isn't the space, I think they need to push Joe Rebo into the more number ten position. Either he needs to be given the license to do that. Or he needs to take it upon himself to say, game management, I'm a professional player, I realise that I need to get myself into that sort of number 10 role to create something. Yep. Now, I get that you can't just do that without having the manager say so, but I think Michael Beale and Steven Gerrard need to start thinking about it. In games like this, they need to perhaps gamble and push him a little bit further forward to try and give them that creative spark. Because yesterday, I mean, as a stats show, with only one shot on target, they weren't getting anywhere. They weren't no. penetrating. And I, I think Aribo is the man with the skill to do that. I totally agree uh, that it needed a change during the game. Listen, we know the system that Rangers play now, and that it's watched them for the last 18 months. You're totally right. The midfielders drop in. Almost to Kamara and Aribo were dropping into the kind of old-style right half and left half positions picking the ball and that's because as you say there's so much reliance on the two fullbacks. Now Rangers actually did get into good positions in the fullback areas on, su- on Sunday. The problem was that the delivery was <coughs> so poor. Spot on. Tavernier had a terrible game full stop. There's no getting away for that. Barisic actually played reasonably well. <coughs> Defensively but, good. Yeah but, but his delivery could have still been better. Yep. He got into really good work with Anyone who watched the game can see Rangers try to exploit the the space that Barisic was getting. Ojo was bringing Hickey inside. That was leaving the space. That's what Rangers wanted. That's the game plan. That always is a game plan to get Barisic and Tavernier down the sides. So that's the that's the first point. You get the fullbacks into the good positions. You need the good delivery. When the good delivery doesn't come, I think Rangers are then relying. Uh, in terms of creativity, they're then relying on Ojo and Arfield who come in side. That's almost like their second point of attack. If it's not happening down the sides, they try and play through the middle with Ojo and Arfield coming in. Unfortunately for Gerard and Rangers, both of them were really off for him as well on Sunday. Arfield, who I think is a, no, a brilliant player uh, and has been terrific since he came in, just wasn't at it. I don't know whether it was international break he was obviously away with Canada, but just didn't look at it. Passing was off, decision making was off. His poor pass for Morelos with a counter attack in the second half kind of summed it up. Just that final pass was just it needed to be a yard further forward than Morelos, and he would have got a shot away. He was poor. Ojo, there's now a real debate about whether he should be starting. He started a lot of games. I've tried to stick up for him because I think there's a player in there. I think when he's got space to work in. He's got so much pace, he's two-footed, he can hurt teams. We've spoken about it before, I think he can come up with big moments in games. Uh, he has done already this season. But in several away games now, he's been really poor. Uh, and I, I expect Ryan Kent to come back in sooner rather than later. And Ojo's going to have a spell uh, on the bench, potentially, because he was no, he was so poor on Sunday, there's no going to be for that. So, if it's not happening for the fullbacks. It's not happening for the two inside forwards. I agree with you. With the three midfielders sitting so deep, 
something has to change in the game. And you're right, you know, that's down to Gerard or Bill or whoever you try and change it. And again, I agree with you. I think the change or your initial change would have been just to go kind of 4 2 3 1. Just let Davis and Kamara sit, but give a Rebo license to go and uh, go and get in touch with Morelos and Arfield and Ojo and let them go and play in wee pockets uh, in and around the edge of the box. And you might just spark something, you might just create something. Um, he didn't do that. I thought, I mean, they came into it a bit more in the sec- second half in terms of they got a couple of shots away. No, they looked a wee bit more threatening, but I thought it was a poor away performance for Rangers um, and one that will worry Gerard when he looks at every away game this season in the league Rangers have played they have struggled in most of those games for a large chunk of it and if they're going to go and seriously compete uh, to try and win a title that's going to need to change Just to stick with my Liverpool analogy Scott um, if you look at these players in the context of the league they're playing in Barisic and Tavernier, probably equivalent to Alexander-Arnold and yep. uh, and um, uh, Andy Robertson in terms of what their outputs are. Morelos, I would say, is outperforming Robert Firmino in the top row. The problem is, and it's always has been under Gerrard, it's these two inverted wingers yeah. and what they provide. Now, for Liverpool, Manny and Salah are goal machines. Yeah. They're firing in you know, 30 goals a season. Now, I'm not saying that Rangers are going to be able to afford the kind of quality that would even do that at the Scottish Premiership level, but there needs to be better output, particularly from the likes of Arfield. He needs to get back to the kind of numbers he was showing when he first moved into that yep. position. Ryan Kent, big outlay, didn't really have an impact yesterday. I know it's early doors. I know he's just come in and come back from injury, but for that kind of money, he's got to be a transformational player. He's got to show the kind of form he did against Celtic in the games last season. And then Ojo, he started the season, he looked like he was going to give the outputs that Candias didn't give. And, and, and to be fair, already he's probably produced roughly what Candias did. But yep. you've got to say, as you've already pointed out, tough away games, he's got this sort of trapdoor mentality where he disappears and you don't see him for a while. Yep. It's a bit like the uh, the old Chris Boyd uh, situation where you have a sort of poacher up front, who just isn't contributing to the team, and he's like that from a wide, yeah, a wide area. No, G- Gerard needs more for these guys. There's no doubt about that. The only thing I'd say about the wide men, Arfield and Ojo, is I still can't quite get my head around why they're playing, why Arfield's on the right and Ojo's on the left. To me, when Arfield came into the team last season, uh, nobody came into the team when he moved to that inverted winger role it was on the left hand side for most of the time and obviously he's coming in field on his stronger foot with full backs flying uh, flying round out, outside of him <clears throat> and he did it brilliantly and he did get goals should he get his hat trick at Fur Park uh, for instance one, at, uh, one game that sticks out Ojo from what I've seen of him produces his best stuff on the right flank when he cuts in on the left foot and can get shots away. It, it's what he always... When we spoke to him in pre-season before Rangers kicked a ball, he spoke about playing on the right-hand side and cutting in on his left left foot. That's what he loves doing and he can cause defenders loads of problems. Um, so I don't quite get why Arfield's on the right and, and Ojo's on the left. And I think during games like Sunday... When it's no happening for them, it's worth switching them about and giving them, you know, giving them a, a, a chance on the other side. Um, so that's a change. Of, I think you would see an improvement in Ojo. I think you'd probably see an improvement in in both of them. In, in terms of Ojo playing in that left, you're right. He gets he just runs into blind alleys. But it's because if he's staying on his left foot, which he predominantly will do. He's just going down the line, down the line, down the line. It's no happening for him. He's probably more reluctant to come in field than he would be if he was on the right hand side coming in on the coming in on the left. No, listen. Stephen Gerrard knows a lot more about it than me. He sees these guys every day. He'll have his uh, reasons, whether it be tactical or technical, for having them on that side. It might not make a massive difference. As I say, I think there'll be changes in those areas of the pitch in the next few games. I expect Kent to come back. Um, not sure when Jordan Jones is back. Obviously, you've got Greg Stewart kind of vying for a a place as well. I, I think there will be Gerard will change it up because 
no, like us, he's probably looking at Ojo and Arfield now and wondering, no, are they contributing enough? He's got a big squad that should allow him to change it. Um, so, as I say, I'm not saying it would make a massive difference, but I'd just like to see the two of them uh, flip sides and see if, see if it makes a change. You did focus on the first five minutes, Scott, but is there a feeling that they got to half-time and they were 1-1? It was a bullet dodged, they got the goal late on, and you're thinking to yourself, right, that'll deflate Hearts. They came out of the traps with a really aggressive press and they worked their backsides off to, to suffocate Rangers. Now, that could not possibly be continued for for 90 minutes. So if I'm Steven Gerrard in that dressing room at halftime, I'm thinking, right, we've got the momentum, we've got it back on even, even an even keel, hearts are going to be tired. This second half is set up for us to go and win at a really tough venue. Will he be asking questions of his players from a psychological point of view that they couldn't go on and put that game beyond hearts? Yep, I think so. Um you're totally right. It was set up for them in the second half, uh, shooting into that end with the Rangers fans behind the goal. You were expecting no you're expecting a much improved performance in the second half. They were lucky to get in at one each. Um but that's where the lack of quality really came in. Um, if they had that wee bit of quality, if certain players were on it, no, you, you look at Ojo, Aribo, and Arfield. No, your most creative players just behind Morelos. None of them, uh, none of them were at it. None of them created a chance. <coughs> none of them get in behind uh, Hearts' defence. Um, the second half was just. I mean, it was a nothing performance for for Rangers. And you're right. I think. I think you no. Know, when you look at the kind of attitude of the players, the mentality of the players, Gerardo won't admit it in public, but I think he'll be looking at it just slightly worried um, that they couldn't go there and see, uh, you no, know, see that game out in terms of going and going and impacting it, going and going and winning it against. Let's be honest, you no, know, a pretty poor Hearts team who are in a, in a really bad run of form. As you see, when you get back to one each. No, their confidence would have been dented by that. But Rangers really gave them nothing to nothing to worry about in the, the second half. And that'll that'll worry Gerard. I mean, just going back to the mentality thing. I mean, you don't want to be too critical of players, but you do I, I would worry about the mentality of this team, um and certain players within it. Because it does seem like you no, know, when they really need a result, whether that be when they go top of the league, uh, whether it be a semi-final, for instance, like like last season, um, it does seem that they get to a certain point, and just when you think they're going to kick on, and this is the chance to go and you know, really motor, put a run of wins together, put teams, you know, put teams to bed, they kind of struggle to go over that final hurdle. Um, and listeners still plenty of time to rectify that uh, they might well put that right this season by going and winning trophies uh, competing for the, the title but I just thought on Sunday you know, after Celtic had gone top on Saturday um, a real chance for Rangers to go and, uh, go and can I make a statement away from home it's okay with all due respect you know, beating Hamilton 5-0 uh, at at Ibrooks, we know their forum at Ibrooks is good, they can blow teams away. Celtic have been the same at, uh, at Parkhead so far this season, but so much will rest on these uh, away games. Celtic have struggled, Celtic have struggled obviously against Hibs and Livy, but, but you can't exactly question Celtic players' mentality. No, they've just won nine trophies in the, the spin, no, they know how to get things done, they know how to get titles won. It's no, that's the kind of those are the kind of answers that we're still uh, waiting for for this this Rangers team, and I think at the back of Gerard's mind, he'll be slightly concerned. We've questioned the players a little bit, Scott. Is there also room for criticism of Stephen Gerrard? One of the things that I saw on social media that was quite prevalent after the game, people were questioning his substitutions, not for the first time. I think the fact that Alfredo Morelos went off with a fair a fair bit of time still to go for Jermaine Defoe. Yep. People were saying, well, Morelos was the one person that looked like he would do something in that final third. He grabbed the goal. Now, for me, I, I can understand why Gerard took him off because I felt he was starting to look like he might be 
treading that very thin line towards a red card. I know he, he was booked and it was a tough game and it was a kind of physical game where Alfredo Morelos tends to get agitated and uh, he's a street fighter and he wants to fight back when someone's trying to bully him. He doesn't accept that. And I felt that the Hearts players were going to be pushing him all the way. So I don't know if that was why Gerard maybe thought bring in Jeremy before he just wanted to try something different. What was your take? Um, I wouldn't be too critical, Johnny, the substitutions. Um, what I would say is, no, he did just go like for like with the substitutions, which always, no, when a game's there to be won, always frustrates you slightly that, uh, no, the manager isn't, no, a wee bit more adventurous in terms of, no, mixing it up a bit, changing, changing the shape, changing the formation. We spoke before, I think, that the earlier change uh, to the system should have been made in terms of getting a rebo further forward. I think that would have made a made a difference going to that kind of 4-2-3-1. Um, the only thing I would say is, where I would you know, tend to agree with you or, or other people that's commented on it, is I would have got Stuart and Defoe on earlier because I think a blind man could see from... No, pretty much an hour onwards that it just wasn't happening for Rangers and something had to change. They needed some kind of spark. Tried to do that with Kent, but as you see, even when he came on, it didn't quite didn't quite happen. So, I, th- I mean, I think you could have taken Arfield off earlier uh, because he was having such a poor game. And in terms of the four, could have put him on earlier, but also, and it's, no, it's where I would probably agree with you, I would have liked to have seen him just go with Defoe and Morelos for the last 10-15 minutes. Just play with the two up front uh, I know, and I, take I, an R1 off. I disagree and with I, you I know, on that. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say it never works with the two of them. Yeah. Um, it's happened before. But listen, it's 10 minutes. 10 minutes to go at Tynecastle at one each. No, with all due respect, Rangers should just be getting balls into the box, getting wide and getting balls into the box. It wasn't happening for them in terms of trying to play through Hearts. So I thought with 10 minutes to go, it would have been worth certainly putting Defoe on, but just throwing him up there beside Morelos and something maybe just would have broke in the box. To, to just go like for like, Defoe for Morelos, I don't think that game was set up for Jermaine Defoe to be playing up front through the middle and he's going to create something for you in the last the last five minutes. The only thing I would say to that is I, I was at a game, I can't even remember what game it was, but it was it was the game where uh, Morelos scored two after coming on as a, yeah, as was a that, sub. Was that the Hibs game? Oh, or maybe Aberdeen, it wasn't the Hibs game. Actually. Anyway, there was it was a game where Rangers had been playing absolutely superbly, and then both these two players came on to play up front together. And for the ten minutes they were on together, the only period in the game that Rangers stopped playing was that yeah. ten minutes. The the shape just completely went. Morelos, I don't think likes playing with another player up next no. time. He likes to be the lone guy, the focal point. And uh, so I just, I don't agree with you about the front two. I just don't think that would work. Um, I've been wondering myself, though, whether or not Defoe could adapt to playing one of these slightly wide but deeper positions because he played that at Sunderland. Um, he complained about it. He wasn't particularly happy. Yeah. But I just wonder with his deadly finishing capabilities, if he could, in certain games, play in that position and add something or whether or not he would just naturally float into space uh, alongside Morelos that would actually blunt um, the Colombian a little bit. I don't know what your take is on that. I'd have, I'd have been more tempted... Uh, no, I don't agree. I'd have been more tempted, if you're going to do that, to drag Morelos into one of the, the wider positions. Um, if you don't want to turn them playing up front together as a pair, I'd have been tempted to like, take Arfield off, for instance, and just play Morelos coming in off the right and play the four through the middle. I just I think Morelos lacks the discipline to not just be pushing forward all the time. But you're go- they're going to push forward yeah. anyway in the last 15 minutes. The four is a guy you need uh, no, within the parameters of the 18-yard box for things to... Uh, when you're chasing a game like that, there's 10, 15 minutes to go. You don't want the four outside the 18-yard box. You're just wanting a chance to fall for him. That's where he's great strength is that instinctive finishing if you wanted the two of them in the park uh, as I say as I would have done for those last 10-15 minutes but you don't want to go two up front I'd have just dropped Morelos off to one of the sides and just let him try and get in between uh, between centre back and, and full back uh, listen at that point you're just desperately trying to create something No, 
trying to mix it up. And that's where the frustration will be for Rangers fans in terms of if you're looking at Gerrard's role in it and the, the substitutions is it was basically just like for like. They pretty much listen they'll probably coaches will probably argue that there were little tweaks within that ninety minutes. But they pretty much stuck to the same system for the entire game. Kent comes on at wide left, straight swap for Ojo. Stewart comes on as the kind of inverted winger for Arfield, and then the four places uh, replaces Morelos. I thought Kent top. was very white. Kent wasn't really playing in that more central position. He he was really hugging the touchline when he came on. Yeah, but I, I think I think at times last season when Arfield was deployed in that uh, no that kind of inverted role, I think whatever other wide guy, whether it be Kent or somebody, I think they did tend to be more wide. It was almost like. If you try and picture the the whole balance of the Rangers team, when you've got Tavernier bombing down the right, obviously Arfield comes inside. Yeah. Um, but if you've got, uh, say, last season, you had Flanagan on the left, who's not going to bomb up like Barisic, that's where Kent kind of had to, had to stay yeah. wide. I think it's about the overall balance of the, that's a very the actual good point. team. I mean, that's most famously, um, people will remember Walter Smith's side when you had Sasa Papic on one side and Alan Hutton on the other. Yep. And they used to play uh, Demarcus Beasley on the, the, the opposite side, so the left-hand side, and then Lee McCulloch was, I think, sometimes in front of Alan Hutton and, yeah. or whoever. Or, or even Davis yeah. at times. Yeah, Davis, yeah. Um, and um, that would sort of, uh, equal, sort of equal it up a little yeah. bit, wouldn't it? I think so. I, I think that's. I think that's what he tried to do with Kent. Uh, listen, to me, although he picked the ball up wide, he was always wanting to try and try and drive in, drive in field. Um, and listen, to me, I mean, I thought there was wee signs that that Kent, no, is now is now back. He looked hungry, um, looked in great shape uh, when he when he came on. That's why I think Ojo, I think Ojo's minutes might be. Uh, might be limited in the next the next couple of months because I think Kent is now ready. I think Gerard knows they maybe need a wee spark, especially away from home. Um, I don't expect the team to change too much, but I certainly expect uh, Ryan Kent to come in in that wide left position. Okay, we've talked about Alfredo Morelos. Let's move on to this news that Crystal Palace um, were watching him in person at Tynecastle on uh, Sunday. And uh, there's also been a lot of speculation down south in the local media around Aston Villa and Birmingham that also Dean Smith is, is looking at the Colombian quite closely and hoping to potentially put together some sort of a deal for him in January. Rather than looking at these two individual, because these names have been linked, we probably talked about this in the summer, to be honest. Do you think Rangers would accept a big bid for Morelos in January? I mean, we, at what point does it become self-defeating if you're going for the title and the one guy that you know can be banked upon to grab you the goals to win that title, even if it is £20 million that's been offered, yep. you, uh, would you sell him? That's a massive risk, obviously, Johnny. Um, in, terms of, in terms of letting him go, it sounds quite simplistic, but... A lot would depend on whether they've got a replacement lined up. Um, I always remember in pre-season when there was speculation about Morelos, um, we asked Gerard about whether Rangers were looking at players you know, to replace him and Tavernier at, at that time. You know, were, they, were they scouting players of that ilk just in case a late bid came in? And Gerard kind of almost looked at us as if we were stupid to say well obviously I mean I would be crazy not to I think but his words are words to that effect so we go back to this director of football <laughs> director of football role at Ibrooks, whether it was Mark Allen previously or Ross Wilson I'm not sure exactly when when he starts in the new job but Rangers recruitment department must in a I was going to say in a draw, but it's a bit old-fashioned, on a database somewhere at, at the training centre, must have replacements lined up for Alfredo Morel. If they've not, then they're not doing their job properly. And that goes for a few players in the team, Tavernier and a, and a few others. So, first of all, a lot would depend on that. They would need if somebody lined up that circumstances would dictate 
that they could have a real chance of getting this guy in January because it's difficult to get players in January. So the circumstances would need to be right for whatever replacement they think could come in and do the job Morelos is doing. But would you sell him halfway through a season where you're neck-neck with Celtic, you're trying to stop nine in a row, a guy that got 30 goals last season, 14 or 15 already this season, that would be a massive risk irrespective of the, of the fee. Um, I th- I th- for me, the reality, Scott, is that Rangers wouldn't want to turn down the kind of money that's been talked about. I don't think it would be fiscally prudent of Rangers to turn down a £20 million offer. I was going offer. to say, let, let's see, see if we're saying it's £20 million yeah. for a guy who costs £1 million. <laughs> Rangers need to take that yeah. at any time of the, the year, I would argue. Of course, they need a replacement. But listen, we're talking about... No, uh, it's, but it's still it's a brutal decision to have to make. Of course it is, but it's a it's a business we're in. No, we all everyone knows about Rangers financial history, you no, know, where they've been in the the recent past. This is the model that we other people have been crying out for for Rangers. For Celtic as well, but certainly given where Rangers have been to sign a guy, a young player for a million pound, to nurture him. If you can sell that player for twenty million pounds, cash in the bank, <laughs> at any time in the season, I think you need to you need to do it. I mean, it would be a massive blow to Rangers in terms of the title if they were to lose Morelos in January. But Gerard, the board would need to hope that a the recruitment department director of football's done their jobs properly. They've got a replacement lined up. They go and get a guy in January, and then you just or they would be, you know, praying that the, the new guy would hit the ground running, come in and score goals. I mean, listen, I've got Jermaine Defoe there already. We all know about his qualities, but obviously they would need a, they'd need a ready-made replacement for Morelos, and that's no, they're no easy to find. No, I mean the, the other thing is if you look at the way Rangers have been shopping in the market, you'd imagine in January. A big offer comes in. If they were going to sell up, the most obvious route to replacing them would be some sort of loan from the Premier League. So you might be looking, I don't know, like a, a Rian Brewster or um, one of the players that they've been interested so in. I don't, I don't you could go for somebody as young as that, Johnny. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you've, you've got four months, if you've, if you've essentially got five months left of a season, you go and try and win a title, win trophies... Stop Celtic getting nine in a row, and you're letting your your talisman, your thirty goal, uh, thirty goal a season striker go. No, with all due respect to Rian Brewster, you can't go and get an an untried nineteen year old kid for down south. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, you're saying English Premier League. If Morelos was to go a couple of days in the window uh, remaining. I would go and get like a Dwight Gale, for instance, at Newcastle, proven goal scorer at a championship and Premier League level. Uh, no starting for Newcastle. Uh, he's on the bench pretty much every week. Experienced, uh, I think, would score plenty of goals in the the, the Scottish Premiership. No, I'm just plucking that name out there. I don't know, know what wages Dwight Gale's on, whether it be a permanent or a loan. But just off the top of my head, and I've no thought about it, you've kind of put me in the spot, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking, if Morelos was to go tomorrow, go and get somebody like, like Dwight Gale, who's going to, similar to Morelos, in terms of causing defenders problems, uh, he's running in behind, a real instinct for uh, goal, you know, a, a natural finisher. So it goes back to my original point, if you're even thinking about letting him go in January, there has to be a... There has to be a ready-made replacement lined up to come in. Okay, well, we're going to move on to the game in Porto on Thursday. Uh, tough, tough place to go. The Madrigal. How do you pronounce it? Madrigal. Madrigal. Dragal. Madrigal's Villarreal. Oh, so it is. I. Jeez, oh. Jeez, I'm going to start joy. that. Come again. on. I'm going to start that again. Uh, would you start Tavernier <sighs> on Thursday? I think he's the captain. So yeah, I would. Um, I would expect Tavernier to be. 
solid because he doesn't <laughs> often have two games, two bad games in a row. But I think the pressure will be on if he makes a mistake hugely. Yeah. Um, really, really difficult place to go at any time. Yeah. But Porto need the win. Yeah. So I think that makes it even more difficult. I don't think the fixtures have been that kind to Rangers the way they've fallen. Uh, obviously, the home game for the first game is, is very positive. But then to have two away games, a really, really tough game in your third game uh, in Portugal against a team who, on paper, are, are far better than you. But, that, that, but that's why, I agree with you, but that's exactly why the performance and the result in Switzerland would have been so frustrating to Gerard. Yeah. At the time, they were fairly... No, at the time, Rangers fans and Gerard were no, pretty philosophical. They'd concede, no, they were frustrated, but they conceded a goal in the last minute. No, Rangers had created chances in the game. It was a game they could have won. No, so they weren't too downbeat about it. Suddenly, after <coughs> failing to win at Tynecastle, looking uh, slightly ropey defensively, no individual mistakes creeping in again, uh, we talk about Tavernier against Hearts. Suddenly, you're now looking at the Porto game and thinking, "No, it's a pity. It's a pity we didn't pick something up in in Switzerland because you're right. Going away from home to Porto, when Porto need a win, uh, uh, no, an intimidating atmosphere. I would, I would expect big crowd. Um, if Rangers can get out of there with anything." positive, uh, i.e. a draw or a, or a victory, I think they'd be absolutely delighted, but it only you know, that feeling that you're talking about you know, that kind of bit of apprehension about going to Portugal for a game like this I think only only re-emphasises uh, how, how, how sloppy that performance was in, in Switzerland and how costly it could be in terms of the group Rangers have never really been outclassed in Europe under Steven Gerrard. They've always played really aggressive, really tight when they're playing against a team that they probably know is, is, is a better side on paper. Um, the only game where they really leaked a lot of goals was Spartak Moscow away, but then yep. they were excellent in, from an attacking point of view in that game. Do you think that Gerrard will go and try and do the same very tight counter-attack? And if he does, which I, I suspect he will... Yeah. Do you think we're going to see some major changes in terms of the way the team's set up? I think he will go to a 4-2-3-1 um, this time, for example. I don't think we're going to be seeing this 4-3-3 with inverted wingers so much. Um, no. Or if, if if he does go with that, I think it'll be a much more congested version of that. Yeah, I, I could see him. I don't see him changing the. I don't see him changing the system, I and mean, I think he'll, he'll keep it the same. But I think he'll want uh, he'll want it to be a lot more compact. Uh, I think you'll want a wee bit more protection in the middle of the park. Um, Ryan Jack coming back would be a major. I was going to say major element of that. A, a lot hinges on on Ryan Jack coming back. If he comes back, it's a no a huge boost to him. They they, they missed him. Uh, they missed him big time on on Sunday. Uh, he's been one of their best players so far this season. If Ryan Jack doesn't make it for Thursday. <laughs> It might be a mad suggestion, but you might see uh, Polster coming in in the middle of the park, I think, just to give them a wee bit of physicality, uh, a wee bit more uh, kind of defensive nous in beside uh, Davis, and then whether it's Kamara or Aribo uh, or whoever in there. Um, listen, it'd be a big call to throw Polster in uh, to a game like that. He's not played a lot of football, but I think Gerard will make changes, um, and I just think he'll be worried if Jack doesn't make it. I think he'll be worried about getting getting overrun in there. And I think you would worry. Listen, we've spoken about how good Stephen Davis has been, but we touched on it earlier. No, if you get attacking players in and around them, um, no Porto's quick. No midfield to front players. I think if they get in and around Davis, difficult for a guy like Davis to. No, to to control them uh, and to try and kind of nullify them. I, I totally, I, I totally agree with you, Scott. But at the same time, uh, away from home in Europe, one of the most important things is controlling the ball. 
and here's a guy that doesn't give the ball away. Oh, I would have him in there. Ah, you just push him further forward. I would just have, I'd either have him sitting in the four two three one, sitting alongside, uh, alongside somebody, or you just move him into the one of the, the slightly more advanced roles where we are you kind of anchor man yep. sitting similar to what uh, Ross McCrory did for a while in, in certain games, certain yep. away games, just more defensive, sitting in front of the back, uh, the back four. No winning tackles, winning headers. That's no Davis's game, um, and I just wonder whether Gerard will, will look at that. I might be wrong, but I think, as I say, if Jack, if Jack makes it, no, that that will make a difference. Then no, he would he would obviously come in. But if he if Jack's no there, I think he'll be worried about uh, getting overran in midfield. Um, and in t- just in terms of Tavernier, I think you're right. I, no, he will start. He'll play, but. I don't expect him to be as gung ho as he as he normally is. I expect him to be really switched on, uh, defensively determined, not to make a uh, not to make a mistake after a couple that he's that he's had already this season. Um, I know people want him. Uh, I know people want him dropped and stripped to the captaincy and all that. I mean, listen, I'm not having that. What I would say, and I've said it on here a million times. With Tavernier, I don't understand why in certain <coughs> certain away games you can't take him out and just play a more defensive right back. Um, he's we've said it since he arrived at Rangers. No, his strengths aren't uh, going back the way it's it's going forward, and that's fine. Listen, his output has been incredible. Goals and assists, no one's arguing with that. Home games at Ibrox, most of the games in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, he's been excellent. He's a real threat. He's a terrific outball for Rangers. But I just think, and I'm not saying it should be Porto, uh, but maybe in Sunday, away to Hearts at Tynecastle, maybe away to Aberdeen at Petodre, something like that. I think there are times when you need to look at who you're playing against, the environment you're in, how you're going to play, and decide the. No, look at the balance. Do I really need Tavernier's attacking prowess, or do I need somebody to sit at right back, nullify the threat of the opposition wide left, and just make us more defensively solid? I've noticed Tavernier has vastly improved his game at his time at the club. Go back to when he first signed, he was scoring all those goals, and people were going, geez, oh, a right back that scored 13 yep. or 14 goals after two months. Uh, and I, even then, I always thought he was pretty good 1v1 defending. He's he's strong, he's quick. So if he's going up against a winger, actually, most of the time, he does do all right. He does get the better of them. He looks strong. And as we've already discussed, great going forward. Where initially at Rangers, Tavernier fell down was always in his positioning. So he would uh, be bombed up forward. Uh, people would uh, exploit the space in behind him. And quite often he would uh, he would lose people at the back post when there was deep crosses coming in. You saw that two goals again at Tynecastle um, that were crucial in Mark Warburton's reign that, that he was completely at fault for. But I think he's improved on all that. Recently, though, it's been the odd brain fart. It's, it's been yep. total lapse of concentration stuff. Just really key, poor decision-making. I suppose the question is, how does Steven Gerrard deal with that? You know what? a player that's just prone to having a bit of a mayor in a single moment because it's not something you can actually take Tavernier aside on the on the, on the pitch mm. at the training ground at Auchenhowie uh, and say, right, this is what we're going to work on to improve this. You can only deal with it in two ways. You can either accept that that's the risk you take in playing a guy like that, that there are, there are mistakes in him um, and it could cost you in big games. Or you take him out the team. Uh, no, you, you either take him out the team for a no a spell where the the aim would be to get him kind of reassessing how he's playing, how he's preparing for games, what he's doing during games, in the hope that when he goes back in, he, he rectifies those mistakes. Or as I've suggested, you accept um, that there are defensive lapses there, but you're so bowled over by what he gives you going forward that you just pick and choose his games. No, I'm not saying James Tavernier for me should start 90% of Rangers 
games yeah. without question. I'm not questioning him as a no questioning him as a captain because I don't know what he's like behind the scenes, but everything you hear about him is very, very good. Players and coaches speak very highly of him. Model professional. All I'm saying is, are there certain games in Scotland or in Europe, away from home, when you know you're going to be under the cosh, you know it's going to be physical, you know you're going to have to defend for your life, uh, for your life's at certain points in the games, do you really need Tavernier at right back, giving you what he does going forward? Or can you go with a more defensive fullback like, uh, like John Flanagan, for instance, who, who, I don't know if he was fit for Sunday, but he's certainly coming back. Um, and no, if you're a Rangers fan, you would worry about him. I mean, he's made, made a big mistake in the Celtic, uh, the old firm game last season that was really costly. No, Switzerland this season, really costly. Um, and again on Sunday, it's cost him points. So, it, no, for Gerard's point of view, it's maybe just becoming a wee bit too uh, regular in terms of the, the mistakes. I mean, I, and I watched Celtic, I was at Celtic Park on Saturday. Listen, Ross County were never at the races. It was a comfortable, comfortable uh, afternoon for Celtic, uh, even though they played very well. I did look at El Yunusi for Celtic, who's coming on to a game. Uh, no, Southampton paid £16 million for this guy. He's taken a wee bit of time to get up and running, but he was... No, terrific for Celtic on on Saturday. Uh, he can go either side. Particularly dangerous when he cuts in on the uh, on his right foot. And you're thinking ahead to December twenty nine Celtic Park, the next Old Firm game. El Yunusi up against Tavernier. Right at this moment, uh, I'd be no, I'd be concerned about that uh, that that duel. Um, and that's something that Stephen Gerrard's going to need to, going to, need to think about in the early time. Well, it's going to be a massive game for James Tavernier and Porto. Um, personally, I'd stick with him. I just think he needs a little bit more time. But it's a delicate psychological balance for, for Stephen Gerrard to get right in terms of the way he manages him. But we will see, and we'll be all over this uh, as it continues, obviously, here on the Record Rangers podcast. We're going to be back, uh, well, we might be back uh, on Friday. We'll see how we get on with that to, to react to the game. Um, but if not, we'll be back ne- the early next week, as usual. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to discuss anything that we've uh, touched on today, you can get me on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can get Scott at Scott McDermott 8 If you like the podcast, and we know many, many of you do, do us a favour, get onto iTunes and give us a five-star review, as that helps get the word out and get the podcast to as many people as possible. Until next time, thanks for listening. Let your body use your mind, use your mind. Let your mind use your body, let adrenaline flow, flow. Let your body use your mind, use your mind.